Hello, and welcome to Pastor George's Bible Study. Amen. Um, can we just quickly, very briefly, um, I'll stop this for now. Um, can somebody, can one of the kids just give us like a summary of what we talked about last? Genesis, you complete. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, so can the, any of its please, can you give us a summary? We just want to hear your summary and then we move on to the next study. Yes. Someone sitting next to me. You can't hide. Give us a summary. Um, so we looked at John 15 from verse 9 to 17. And it was talking about how... Uh, so one of the points I got was how we should abide in Jesus' love. And we looked at the prodigal son and yeah. how uh, he didn't abide in his father's love until he came back. Um so it kind of taught me that, uh, yeah, I have to make a conscious decision to abide in God's love because oh. God is all there, but I need to actually make the decision to uh, keep, like, and remain his, in his love. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I wrote down that the son left uh, the boundary of his father's love and he suffered uh, hunger and pain. Mm. So uh, God's love is always there, but it's up to me to remain in it. And I can do that by obeying his commands. Okay. Can somebody add, can somebody give us another summary? Um, so we're reminded there that we should remain within the Father's love. Remember the prodigal son who left the confines of his father's love and went to a far country. And the Bible said, he wasted his inheritance there. So when you go to a far country, when you leave the boundary of God's love, you are going to go and waste your life, waste your resources, waste the endowment God gives you. You know, so that's something to take note of. That we should remain within the boundary of God's love. God's love is always available. It is us that usually move out of that. God's, move out of God's love. Yes, can anybody add, give us more from what we studied last time? Uh, in addition, we also looked at uh, the story of Naboth's Naboth's and how he defended his inheritance with, uh, oh. with all of his heart and likewise, we must uh, make sure that we keep our inheritance from Jesus close oh. to us as well. Oh. Very important. Thank you very much. 
Number Zayad. It, you know, Ahab wanted to turn the vineyard into a garden of vegetables. And we said that the enemy wants to turn your inheritance in God. He wants to make it useless. He wants to devalue your inheritance. And you remember we talked about Esau. Esau gave up his inheritance as he fell on for a bowl of stew and lentils. You remember, we said that we should not. Ahab wanted to buy the vineyard and turn it into a garden of vegetables. A vineyard that will bring wine, grapes, for years and years to come. It was going to, it was going to turn it to a vegetable garden where they will have spinach, tomatoes, carrots, all those vegetables are good, but they don't carry as much value as a vineyard. A garden of vegetables, you will always plant the garden again every year, but a vineyard maintains its crop for years. And that's the value of, being, of having a vineyard. And the same thing applies to you. The faith you carry can produce fruit for years and years and years and years and years to come. As long as you maintain that faith. As long as you keep looking after that faith. As long as you keep growing that faith. That faith will bring forth fruit till you die. And the devil knows this. So what does he want to do? He wants to devalue your faith in your eyes so that you can, you can give it up. Esau devalued his, his place as the firstborn. And that's why he sold his birthright. And what did he sell it for? He sold it for stew. Can you imagine? You know, if he had sold it for something more valuable, that would be good. He sold it for stew. And remember, we, we mentioned it last anyway. Let me not go there. We talked about how long stew lasts in your tummy. Four hours, it's gone. Look at how how cheap Esau lost his his inheritance for stew. And we must not deny Jesus, deny protecting our inheritance for something so eph ephemeral as it were. And I'm praying that God will keep us focused in these last days. So, by God's grace, today we will just look at Luke chapter 22. We want to follow the example of Jesus. I know during Easter like this, a lot of people tend to reflect, but it's good to look at, let's look at the example of Jesus again in Luke chapter 22. We will just study and draw some examples from our for our own life examining jesus and how he dealt with pressure and how he dealt with the crucifixion that he was going to face so let's open our bibles to luke 22 let's look at we'll start reading from verse 
39. So can somebody read for us? Luke 22 from verse 39 down to verse 53. Can somebody read for us, please? Jesus left the city and went, as he usually did, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples went with him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you will fall, not fall into temptation. Then he went off from them about the distance of a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed. Father, he said, if you will, take this cup of suffering away from me. Not my will, however, but your will be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. In great anguish he prayed even more fervently. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Rising from his prayer, he went back to the, to the disciples and found them asleep, worn by their grief. He said to them, While are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus was still speaking when the crowd arrived, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. He came up to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said, Judas, is it with a kiss that you betrayed the Son of Man? When the disciples who were with Jesus saw what was going to happen, they asked, Shall we use our swords, Lord? And one of them struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. Right ear. But Jesus said, Enough of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had to come there to get him, did you have to come with swords and clubs, as I thought I were an outlaw? I was with you in the temple every day, and you did not try to arrest me. But this is your hour to act, when the power of darkness rules. Okay. Um, can somebody read verse 64 down to 62, please? Somebody else? So... Then, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You you also are one of them. Ma'am, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Ma'am, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. May God keep help. May God help us in our Christian journey. <clears throat> so let's let's go back to verse thirty nine. And, you know, like I said, we just want to look at the life of Jesus again. 
and draw examples for our own Christian journey. Verse 39, the Bible says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as his custom, as he was accustomed. And his disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So we see there, Jesus, in verse 39, came out. But he, he came out so that he can go to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. Can we read that from another translation? Can we read that from Amplified? What does Amplified say? And he came out and went, as was his habit, in the Mount of and the disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray, but you may not at all enter into temptation. Hmm. And he withdrew from them about a stone, stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Okay. So we see there that it was Jesus' habit, Jesus' custom, Jesus' way of life, of going regularly to the Mount of Olives. Excuse me, what, why, do you know why they call it the Mount of Olives? Olive trees on there. Yes, Dom, thank you. I know you are here. That's why I'm asking the question. So why do they call it the Mount of Olives? It was because there are a lot of olives there. Is it not? As far as I know, except I'm wrong, not to be corrected, there are a lot of olives in that place. But there's actually a lot of graves on that place now. Yes, yes. You know why? Because everyone wants to be buried there. Because when uh, the Jews kind of think that well, the Messiah is... Hello, Dominic. Hello, Jackie. Hello. How are you? Hmm. Yeah, so, so, so when the Messiah returns, he's returning yes. to the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus is returning to. Uh, yes, so, so that's why they, they want to be buried there. But yeah. they, call the, they call it the Mount of Olives because of the olive plants there. The olive trees there. But excuse me, Jesus did not go there to go and eat olives. Jesus made it a prayer place for himself. Jesus went there regularly, not to go and eat olives. Excuse me, do you know at times, if it was in our generation, eh, why will you, if you had a mountain eh, that was near your house, why will you go there? Some people just go there for sightseeing, isn't it? Let's just go and see. Landscape, you know the view. You know, we have a, a hill near us called Ham Hill. Do you know why people go there? Most people go there, just look at the view. They love it. 
They can see the 8303 running across. They can see the villages. But this strikes me very powerfully that the Bible said he went there regularly. It was his habit. But why did he go there? Jesus regularly went there to pray. That was Jesus' habit. That was his lifestyle. And I want to I want to encourage us, and I feel God is encouraging us through this scripture, that we should form the habit, a habitual uh, practice of prayer. There was a woman called Susanna Wesley. That's John Wesley's mom. Hmm? John Wesley's mom, when she wants to pray, because the house was so busy, she will put her apron over her head and start praying. Once she's under the apron, everybody knows that mommy is in the place of prayer. Let this be a challenge for us. For Jesus, he had a custom of going to go and pray on the Mount of Olives. Excuse me, what is your own custom for prayer? That's the question. The Bible said he went to the Mount of Olives. And as he went, look at it, his disciples also followed him. So, beloved brethren, as disciples of Jesus, let us learn to follow this tradition of going to pray. Of setting out time for prayer. Let prayer be part and parcel of our habits. Let it be a habitual custom for us. I'm so challenged by this. The Bible said, and his disciples also followed him. And thank God, they followed him. And you know, if you look at that verse 40, the Bible said, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So, when the disciples followed him, you know, disciples, they will follow their master, isn't it? And that's what they were doing here. They only followed their master. But the question is, follow their master to do what? Jesus was giving them a direction. Jesus gave them a clear direction. They needed to follow their master. And Jesus told them, immediately they got to the place, he said, pray. You did not follow me here just to come and sightsee. You know, the Mount of Olives, they, they, it, will, it will give them good scenery, isn't it? They will see all these lights in Jerusalem. Eh? They will see the lights there. They will see the good view. They will see the Temple Mount, maybe. I'm just giving an example. So, but for Jesus, he needed to give the disciples a clear focus. Pray! This is time for prayer. This is not a time to play. This is a time to pray. Do, do you understand? So it's very clear from that scripture that Jesus wanted to give them a focus. He said, pray. This is time to pray. And he told them, pray that you do not enter into temptation. And like Jesus, look at verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them 
about the stone throw and he knelt down and prayed. Do you see Jesus? So Jesus, anytime he comes to Mount Olives, he needed to pray. And he was giving them a prayer point. Pray so that you do not fall into temptation. This was what kept Jesus going in his own work with, with the Lord. Jesus was a man of prayer. It was, I'm sure, you know, when you read about Jesus, you just think, oh, he was just nice, perform miracles all over the place. No. Jesus gave himself. He devoted himself to prayer. Several times he will check. The Bible will say he will go. While it was early before it was daylight, he will go and pray. The Bible will say he will continue all night in prayer. That was a man giving to prayer. So excuse me, if Jesus, eh, the powerful Jesus, the holy Jesus, the merciful Jesus, the lovely Jesus, gave himself to prayer, do you think it is right not for for not to give yourself to prayer. Will you be his disciple if you do not follow him to pray? You understand? So the disciples followed him here as they normally would, but as they followed him, Jesus was challenging them. Pray. So the first important lesson we note here is let us give ourselves to regular prayers. Please. I don't think you can survive as a Christian without praying. I don't think you can I don't think you can make it to the end of your race if you do not devote yourself to prayer. Not just prayer when you have problems. Not just prayer when you are looking up to God for something. Prayer as a form of devotion, as a form of communion with your Lord and Savior. It is so important. This was Jesus' own lifestyle. The Bible said, as his habit was. Do you understand? The Bible is telling us that as he was accustomed, this was what he did regularly. So, you know, if you read this scripture, you think Jesus went to pray because he was going to be crucified very soon. No, this was his lifestyle. So, beloved brethren, can we make it our lifestyle? Whether we are in trouble, whether we need help or not, whether we need something or not, we are giving our heart to prayer, to communion with God. This is so important. I don't, I don't know how to overemphasize. We can't overemphasize it enough. Okay, just look at what Jesus told them. He said, pray so that you do not enter into temptation. So, excuse me. How are you how are you going to survive not entering into temptation? Not giving yourself to temptation. Not allowing temptation to commit sin overwhelm you. The only way to find that is prayer. It's not self-discipline. It's not self-confidence. It's not self-actualization. It's not self-determination. It's not by self that you overcome temptation. 
Have you not heard it so much in the world? When you have a very bad habit, they say, no. Why don't you believe in yourself? Why don't you be self-determined? Why don't you be self-confident? Why don't you be self-aware? It's all about self. Sorry. That is not the solution. The Bible says, pray. This was Jesus' instruction. You didn't know even for Jesus. I'm sure you look at it as if even Jesus. Do you know how he survived temptation? He gave himself to prayer. Or you don't know. Jesus gave himself to prayer. That was how he too survived temptation. In this next part we are going to read, you will see how Jesus obeyed God, pleased God through prayer. Look at it. Let's study it together. Verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone throw, and he knelt down and prayed. So what did Jesus do there? He too. Jesus cannot be telling you to pray, and he will not pray. Look at Jesus. The Almighty Jesus. He too. Telling his disciples to go and pray, he too had to do what he told them to do. That's the glory about Jesus. Jesus will not ever tell you to do something that he himself has not been doing. That will be hypocrisy. And Jesus is not a hypocrite. That was why Jesus, everything Jesus did and preached about was so powerful. Because he did what he preached. He actually practiced what he preached. So when he told his disciples to pray, he too was going to go and pray. Don't you see it? So look at it. He told them, pray. And he knelt down and prayed. Verse 42, saying, Father, if it is not, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, for yours be done. Can we read that from another translation just to add more clarity to some of the that a bit of clarity to that statement? Can somebody read it for us? Which which passage? Um, Verse 42. Uh, of, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 22. Yes. Luke 22, verse 42. I'll read it in good news. Okay. And it says here, Father, he said, if you will take this cup of suffering away from me, not my will, however, but your will be done. Hmm. I hope you're taking note of what Jesus was praying about there. He said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup. And good news added a, 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 a the adjective to it or the the qualification of suffering. Cup of suffering. Take this cup of suffering away from me. Nevertheless, however, it is not my will, but your will be done, Father. So you see, Jesus in the place of prayer was making sure that it is not his will. He wanted the will of God to be done. 
this cup of suffering was only for the will. It was, Jesus was only interested that Lord let your will be done. That's what Jesus wanted. He wanted the will of God to be done. Jesus was going to drink the cup of suffering. Jesus was going to go to the cross. Take the sin of the whole world. Apart from that, he'll be separated from his father. Cup of suffering. But he wanted to make sure that this was what the father wanted. Do you know there are some things that God wants you to do? It is very hard. It can be difficult. But you don't receive strength to do it just by self-actualization and self-determination. You get to do it in the place of prayer. Look at that scripture. The Bible said, when he prayed that prayer, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Verse 43 said, then an angel appeared to him from strengthening him. Excuse me, brethren. Do you see the power of prayer? It is in the place of prayer you receive strength from above. It is in the place of prayer you receive grace and strength from heaven. I hope we are, we are following because we are reading this so that we will know what happens in the place of prayer. Prayer gives you strength from heaven. The grace and the strength you need to continue to run your Christian race and please God even in the midst of opposition. That strength does not come from the earth. It comes from heaven. And how does it come? It comes by prayer. I hope you are taking note. You see, we are reading this because if we do what Jesus did, we will receive the strength he received. That's the important thing about this for me. If we, what Jesus did, we will receive the strength he also received. The Bible said, an angel appeared to him from heaven. And that angel did not come to shake him and say, hello, how are you doing? Don't worry, you'll be fine. The angel strengthened him. It was from heaven. It was God strengthening him. Now, let's look at verse 44. The Bible said, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus had a picture of what he was going to pass through. And he agonized over it. He thought about it. And the Bible said, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Excuse me. Can we think can we talk about this that phrase? Let's discuss it. What does it mean to be in agony? Can we talk about it? Let's discuss. And the kids are also involved in this discussion. What does it mean to be in agony? 
But should we read it from other translations? What are, what are the other translations saying, please? What does it mean to be in agony? I've got the good news here, George. What did the good news say? Yes. In great anguish. In great prayed, anguish. He prayed even more fervently. Mm. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Yes. So Jesus was in great anguish. Jesus was in great despair. Jesus was agonizing. Can we use other words to qualify how Jesus felt? Yes? This is amplified in reverse. Yes? Okay. I'm going to be deeply distressed and anguished. Yes? Please say it again. Read it again. Let's hear you. Don't feel shy. Read it. Thank you. Yes. I'm being in agony. Yes. Distressed and anguished. He was distressed. Almost. Almost to the point of death. Ha! The uh, uh, George, the Greek word is 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 um agonia, and it's only used here once in the New Testament. I haven't looked up the Septuagint references or the other Greek all the other Greek Testament references to see whether I can find any other uses of the uh, of that word. Okay. Kind of here. I'll give me a few minutes. No, no problem. But we've used some words there. We've used agony. We've used distress. Jesus was in great distress. Jesus was in great despair. Eh? Because of what Jesus was going to pass through, he had a vision. He knew what to pass through. It was going to be painful. But, excuse me, look at that verse again. The Bible said, being in great agony, he prayed even more. Do you know why Jesus prayed more earnestly? From that scripture, why did Jesus even pray more earnestly? Because he was in great agony. Do you know, in our in our own situation, if you are in great distress, what happens to you? Palpitation, George. Ha! It's more than palpitation. Um, yes. If you're in great distress, what happens? Some people will say, I want to die. Let me just die. Leave me alone. I will die now. If it is, people can be in so much distress that they want to give up hope. They say, let me just die. I'll kill myself. Some people can be in great distress and they want to do something terrible. Some people can be agonizing. And they will give up. But excuse me, Jesus was agonizing. Jesus was in great distress. The Bible said he prayed more earnestly. Do we see the example of Jesus? Yes. 
do we see that Jesus, when he was faced with agony, he prayed more earnestly. He, he gave himself to the prayers. Agonizing. He was agonizing, but he prayed more earnestly. And as he was praying more earnestly, the Bible said, his sweat became so thick like drops of blood. Excuse me. When you are in great distress, what do you do? Do you pray even more or you just give up? Like Mika said, do you allow the distress become so great that it now affects your physical health to a very bad state? You see, for me, this is a great lesson. That when you are, when I'm in distress, I should follow the example of Jesus. He prayed even more earnestly. He went and held on to God and said, Lord, help me. Can that be our response? Yes. Um, actually, there was a documentary in the uh, G, not Geo, uh, about uh, Jesus sweating of blood. And uh, the uh, psychologist said because of uh, too much uh, feeling of torment uh, mentally and emotionally that his body break out, you know, the capillaries in our skin mm. uh, broke out and that's why it formed uh, sweats of blood. Because um, a person in great anguish mentally and emotionally, it can cause sweats of blood. That's what it says in the documentary when they studied about Jesus sweating of blood. Let me read, NLT says, he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. There is a way you will sweat. Mm -hmm. That your sweat will not look like water. It will, the consistency of the sweat will not be like water. I think what Nick is saying is it's, it's an actual recognized medical condition called hemorrhagic yeah. hydrosis. Yes. You know, like hyper hyperhidrosis, yeah, hematohidrosis, which is hematohidrosis, yes, near the sweat glands bursting. Mm -hmm. So you have blood coming out with this with the sweat. Yes. Yeah. So how's that spell? I'm just trying to look up the term. H a e m a. Hema. Hema is blood. Yes. Uh, yeah, hema. Hema. Then hydrosis is sweating. Yeah, yeah, hydro. Yeah, I know. This, uh, yeah, I think I've got it. Hmm. So, this is the response of agonizing prayers. The response of agonizing prayers. But you see, it's an example for me to follow. That's that is why I'm I'm kind of challenged by this. What Jesus did here. That Jesus, as a human being, was so much under emotional and mental torture because of what he was going to pass through. That the only way he could overcome that at that point was to cry and hold on to God in prayers. That is a lesson for me. How am I going to go through mental torture? 
and stress, excuse me, is by praying. How am I going to maintain? You know, look at what happened. When he finished verse 45, look at verse 45. Does, does a person pass through that emotional and mental torture and in the place of prayer and then the person will get up? Look at what happened. The Bible said, when he arose from prayer, and I'm praying that that will be your own experience, that you too can arise from the place of prayer, knowing that God has heard you. You get it. Look at it. The Bible said, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And he did not stop there. Jesus was, was in earnest prayer. But he also arose. Hallelujah. You get it. He arose. He got up. Despite the fact that he was under great emotional torture. He arose because God strengthened him in the place of prayer. Excuse me. The question is, how do you receive strength if not in the place of prayer? I told us, and I'm very, very, very clear about this in my heart, please. And I'm praying that God will give you this understanding. Forget what, don't, don't buy into what the world tells you. When you are under great stress, they'll tell you, oh, you need to be self-confident. You need to be, you need to understand, you need to, you need to uh, be self-determined. They said, George, um, we have discovered, you know, through NHS, we yeah. have this, uh, like, you can talk to our psychologists as yeah. well. That um, you just talk your problems so that they can encourage you. Because with this mental and emotional torture, I'm sure if you're an ordinary person, you are going to have a nervous breakdown. Of course. Probably you will be admitted in the mental hospital. Mm-hmm. Yes. This self-reassurance, even the psychologist needs help. Yeah, I've seen psychiatrists that need help themselves. It's not once, not twice. I've seen it. So, when the Bible is, when when we are learning from the example of Jesus here, we should just embrace it. We can only get strength. Strength from heaven in the place of prayer. And look at it, the Bible said in verse 45, when he rose up from prayer he, he, and had come to disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. That is what you should not do. The disciples were sleeping. Jesus was praying. Do you, you see the issue? You know, stress can be so much that you just sleep. It happens. Do you know the do you know the cardinal sign of depression? When somebody is depressed, what happens to sleep when you are depressed? 
You guys know. I mean, some people can't sleep, but some people do the duvet thing where they spend all day under the duvet. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. So some people can't sleep. Yes, I agree. In fact, sleep disappears. They can't sleep at all. You know, when I read, if you read your Bible, the Bible said in verse 45, it said, when he arose from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping from sorrow. I was, I was surprised. If they were sorrowful, why were they sleeping? Do you know it happens that you can be so sorrowful that the only thing you go and do is just to sleep. Inactivity. You just give up. For the disciples, it was temporary when they were sleeping. Beloved brethren, sleep is good, but please, I beg you, don't allow sleep stop you from praying. Sleep is good. The Bible said, He giveth his beloved sleep. Isn't it? So it's God that gives sleep. But when it's time to pray, I beg you, please pray. Look at what Jesus said. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Jesus was facing his own battles and he obtained victory in the place of prayer. Beloved brethren, you can also obtain your victory in the place of prayer. Don't allow sleep rob you of it. Like I said, I'm not saying you shouldn't sleep. Like Jesus, for Jesus, it was time to pray. He said, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, because this was the time to pray. So that they would not fall into temptation. So that they would not commit sin. So that they would not displease God. They needed to pray. Beloved brethren, let that be our own habit as well. Let us pray. Let us give ourselves to prayer, consistent prayer. So that we keep pleasing God. Do you know, if you keep praying and say, Lord, I want to please you. As I wake up today, Lord, help me. Help me to please you. Help me to, to honor you in my life today. In the next 24 hours, I'm asking, Lord, in mercy, help me to please you. Excuse me, I want to ask you a question. Are you being NSK about that? What are the chances? That you are going to commit sin in and disobey God. After that earnest prayer from the heart. I'm using the word chance because we are human beings. We can still misbehave. But what are the chances? When you pray earnestly to God, asking God for mercy and for help to please Him today. You get what I'm saying? You know when Jesus said, Rise and pray. So that you will not enter into temptation. Jesus was very serious about that statement because Jesus saw what was going to happen next. And you too, me too, we need to take notes that the, our, our adversary, the devil, he is not sitting down on leave. You know, the devil did not go into lockdown. I hope you know. <laughs> I hope you know that the enemy did not go into lockdown. He was very active during the lockdown. 
because lockdown does not affect him. The only way we can keep pleasing God is to pray. And that's so important. And as if I'm hearing Jesus say, why do you sleep? Arise and pray. In these last days, in these days we are in, please, don't give, don't allow the lockdown become an excuse not to pray. Yes, please. Uh, George, um, we normally think that um, being anxious, you know, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, yeah. is, is pretty much a sin for Christians to be fearful. So, um, so what do you think, you know, if you wanted to describe the agony yes. that Jesus was going to that was not sin mm. uh, in that context, what do you think the agony was? It, 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 was it wasn't fear of going to the cross, I don't believe. It wasn't no, fear. No, it wasn't the fear. So what was it? It wasn't the fear no, of the pain. It wasn't the fear of the, it, the it, um, torture. It, it, yeah, you know, Jesus was here being separated from his father. Yes, you know, Jesus was a human being, even at the same time as the Son of God. The fear, like Dom said, the fear or the the fact that he be separated from his father that has never happened before. That's why you see how he cried on the cross. That cry was a cry of separation. And, you know, look at, the Bible said, when he prayed, that the Bible said, an angel appeared to him to strengthen him. Why do you think he needed strengthening? Because no. I think there's a human beings, um, remember in Isaiah as well, what we learn actually in the... Isaiah 52, like his bow, all his bones were out of joint. Mm -hmm. And just imagine if uh, one of your joints, that your wrist will be out of joint, it will be painful. And the, it, uh, uh, it described that all his bones were out of joint. So that means, you know, just the physical pain alone, it would be too much to bear. Mm. You know, Everything Jesus was going to pass through on the cross, it wasn't first of all physical. The agony was not first of all physical. You know, if it's physical alone, we would think, ah, but why did he have to agonize that much when it had not happened to him? I pray you understand what I'm saying. You see, what Jesus was agonizing after was the spiritual aspect. Jesus was going to drink everybody's cup of sin. It's the spiritual aspect. I think Jesus was agonizing after. Not the physical. You know, the physical, he had not experienced it. You know, this pain we are talking about, of going to the cross, the beating, the humiliation, the being hanging in the sun like this, the piercing on his side, that was physical. Is the spiritual that Jesus was agonizing after what he was going to pass through spiritually, in the sense that he was going to carry the sin of the whole world. The 
spiritual understanding that he was going to be separated from his father. That is enough of agony. But George, on the cross, he said, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? As if he didn't expect it or know it or yes or understand it anyway. Yes. Uh, that's, a, that's a common misconception. He's actually quoting Psalm 22. Okay. So what does Psalm 22 say? Quoting Psalm 22, which is like, oh my God, my God, my, why have... So the things that people who would know that would know that he's, he's referencing the whole psalm. Mm -hmm. So he's actually directly referencing scripture. So, so yeah. it's, not, it's not as if he... That, that, that my God, my God, why have you chosen me? It's not a, a cry of asking God a question. It's not as if... He doesn't know. Sin separates. It's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's an automatic response of God. Anywhere iniquity is, God turns His face from it. It is not a a disowning. It was just a sign. The Bible said the whole earth was dark. Darkness came because of sin. It's the automatic response when sin is involved. And God put himself in that situation. That was the only way God could carry, take away our sin. He had to pour everything on Jesus. That's the response. And it's not a response of, oh, I'm leaving to just perish. No, it was a response of God putting himself in that situation that, the only way I can forgive the sin of mankind is to heap that whole sin and give it to Jesus to drink. And we now saw the response, the cry from his son who has always been with his father. And then the whole earth became dark. It was darkness because of sin. But remember, in the midst of this, was going to come our victory. Maybe I'm jumping jumping the gun here. But you see, that was the only way me and you can be saved. That Jesus will take up our sin. That's why salvation itself, the whole process, was not a walk in the park. Even for God. <laughs> even for the Lord. That's why the Bible said, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only, he gave up his only begotten son. That giving up is what we are seeing there. Because of his love for me and you. So salvation was not cheap. It wasn't a cheap event. It wasn't just, okay, just go and do it. Don't worry. You'll be fine. It wasn't just walking. No, it was also a painful thing for God. But that was the only way. We can, that's why you see when you reject salvation the consequence is terrible it's just that like God giving up something so useful so that you can be saved and then you reject it how are you going to turn back excuse me where is salvation going to come from again that's why salvation and what it entails what God did is so much a great thing that when you reject it, the only solution is you facing the consequence. Because for God, 
you might just think that it was easy. Oh God, just uh, after you are God, you can give up your son. No, it was done in love. When you reject that love, the mission comes. It is automatic. There is nothing else that can save you. How? How are you going to be saved? There is no other way to be saved. Because of what Jesus did. It was a great thing. But God did it in love. That's, the, that's why we are indebted to God. We don't have an option. It's, it's so much a price to pay. That when you reject that offer of salvation, you don't have any, there's nothing else. How can you be saved? That's the question. If I say God is asking, you reject the salvation, how, where is salvation going to come from again? I have given you the best. I have given you my son. I allowed him to go to that cross, suffer the humiliation physically, but also spiritually. How else? It's as if God is going to, it's as if God is asking us a question. How else are you going to be saved? Give me another solution. There's no other way. The father gives up his only son to take your place. And then you reject the offer. How? Are you going to be saved? You know, so it's a it's a it's a it's a great thing the Lord has done for us. That's why we don't have an option. And I'm praying that we will live in this consciousness all the days of our life. That salvation it's a it's so deep, it's not just one snap in the finger. Just, it's not God just coming and doing this. No. It's a great and a deep thing God did. That's why, you know, the consequence is not because you committed sin. It's because you rejected that great offer. It's a wonderful offer. An offer that God gave in love. And then you reject it. The question God will be asking you is, what do you expect me to do again? Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price, and he, and he has given you that, he has offered you salvation through that process. And you say, I'm not accepting. The question God is asking is that, so how else are you going to be saved? What do you want me to do again? That's the question. That's why the consequence is very bad. If you look at it, even in a logical sense, spiritually, it is the consequence is bad because there is no other way of salvation. That's the issue. That's why we have to live in this consciousness all the time. That's why we don't have any other response but to give our heart to Jesus. It's not enough. Do you understand? Giving your life to Christ is not like a payback. <laughs> it's not like, God, I'm paying back for, for saving me. You know, your paying back is good, but it doesn't, it's not enough. That's why 
the little we can, the best we can do is to give our hearts to Him. The Bible said He died on the cross for all, so that when you are living now, you are you are so grateful that you can only live for Christ. That's the issue. Is this understanding that God wants us to carry all the days of our lives, honestly? Is this type of mindset that God wants us to carry all the days of our life? I pray the Lord will help us. So, we see there that Jesus admonished the disciples, rise and pray. Because even for God, even for Jesus himself, he went through what he went through because he was strengthened in the place of prayer. You know, Jesus knew the word of God. He knew God's will. But for God's will to come to pass in his life, it had to be pushed in the place of prayer. And that was why Jesus prayed. And God is also expecting us to give ourselves to prayer so we can receive strength to obey him. So that we can receive strength to please him. So that our actions can be directed by the Holy Spirit and we will listen to the beatings of the Holy Spirit because we have given ourselves to prayer. We will be strengthened in the place of prayer. So we see that after that experience, immediately they came to arrest him. You see it from verse 7. They came to arrest Jesus. The Bible said, while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before him and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. So you see Judas. Judas knew where Jesus... You see, a man who has been following Jesus. You might think Jesus was a mystical man. Jesus was a simple, open man. Judas knew where Jesus would be. Judas knew that after, usually in the evenings, Jesus goes to pray. Let's go and arrest him there. Go and arrest him in the place of prayer. Eh? Young people, do you remember when they were looking for Jesus? They found him where? In the temple. Sitting down with the teachers of the law. They were doing Bible study. Excuse me, if they are looking for you on Saturday evening, usually, where should they find you? looking for you on Saturday evening, where will they find you? I find us doing Bible study. Bible study. As your custom is. That's the, that should be the life of a Christian. You understand? Let it not be that they expect you to be in Bible study. Eh? And they find you doing something else. For Jesus, Judas knew where Jesus would be. He wouldn't expect Jesus to be sleeping. He would expect Jesus to be praying. So, Jesus said in verse 48, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? You know, that this issue of betrayal is so important. We don't have time to talk about it now, but I feel 
she just mentioned. Look at how Judas was betraying Jesus here. You know, Judas had already betrayed Jesus by going to collect 30 pieces of silver from the priests to tell them where Jesus was. That was the first betrayer. He loved money. His love for money and the fact that he was stealing money from the boss was the first betrayer. That was the life of Judas. When you when you start when you entertain evil thoughts in your heart to do the wrong thing, you are already betraying Jesus. So what Judas was doing here was the secondary betrayer. The firm primary betrayer had already taken place. He had already betrayed Jesus in his heart. He had already loved money. He was stealing money. That was already a betrayer. So all Judas was doing now was a secondary thing. And we must not, you see, the Bible says, a backslider in the heart is filled with his ways. When you start backsliding, when you start falling away from Jesus, he starts in the heart. It doesn't start in the physical. Whatever Judas was doing here was already started in the heart. Look at Judas pretending here. He went to kiss Jesus and see Jesus was his friend. Isn't it? Was actually betraying him. Betrayal of Jesus is when you behave contrary, when your heart goes contrary to what God has been telling you. That's betrayal. Betrayal starts in the heart. It doesn't start in the physical. We must take note of that. So, the Bible said, Judas betrayed Jesus and Jesus responded. In verse 49, when those around him saw what was going on, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Lord, shall we strike with the sword? They wanted to fight for Jesus. They wanted to defend Jesus. And they were going to defend Jesus with fighting. And the Bible said one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Very interesting. You know, I, I keep saying this. That Peter wanted to draw this, this sword here. What was cutting off the ear going to do? I feel in my own observation, Peter wanted to take the head off. He wanted to take the servant of the high priest's ear. He, he didn't want to cut his ear. He wanted to, you know, you know, if you go with the sword like this, look at my hand. Huh? He was coming down with the sword on top of the high priest's head. The high priest servant just did this and dodged that sword. That's how. He came off. It wasn't here. Why would Peter? He wanted to stop somebody from doing something. And he said, no, let me just cut off the ear. When you want to cut off somebody's ear, what do you do? I'm not teaching you bad things. You hold the ear like this and do this, isn't this? Huh? That's what you do. But Peter went for the head. The high priest did this. Hey! And then the ear came off. That's what Peter did. To show you that Peter... 
and it was not even a good swordsman. <laughs> you understand? So what I'm just trying to bring out from here was that Peter wanted to cut, wanted to hit the head, and the man dodged. I said, "Ah, my head, oh!" And then this came. That's what happened. So Peter was not even good at using the sword. He was not good at using the sword. But what we are trying to say here was that Peter was committing Peter had fallen into temptation. That was why he needed to pray. Remember when they were meant to pray and they were sleeping? This was what they were going to avoid. This was what they needed to avoid. This issue of, oh, let's fight for Jesus. Let's let's fight them. That was what that was what they were trying. This was what they were meant to avoid. But look at Jesus. A person, a man who has been praying, doesn't react like everybody reacts. Jesus had been praying. Remember, he had been praying. And verse 41, 51 says, Permit this. This was Jesus answering. Jesus was responding in love to those who came to arrest him. That response is not ordinary. Excuse me, people came to arrest you for doing something you did not do. Eh? They accuse you of this. What will you do? Will you not call down fire from heaven? I know me what I will do. Some people came to arrest me and they came to they they with, with without you know they accuse me falsely. Will I not call down fire? I'll say no. Fire! Ah. Mm. Eh? When I don't call down fire, anybody that touches me may his hand just freeze now. But a man who has been praying doesn't react that way in vengeance. Look at Jesus. Jesus said, leave them, leave it. And Jesus, is it not a man who is praying? Somebody came to arrest you. Eh? And the person in the process twists his ankle and breaks it. And then you, you go and you pray for that ankle. Say, Lord, I heal this ankle now. Lord, let your healing power. They came to arrest me, but he has broken his ankle. Lord, Lord, let the ankle heal now in Jesus' name. Is it not a man of prayer that does that? Somebody came to do something nasty to you and he broke his ankle. Eh? What will you do? Will you not say, may that ankle even break further? <laughs> Isn't that what will be your response? Eh? Thieves came to break into your house. And as they were breaking into your house, they caught themselves with the glass of the window. Eh? And you went and you gave them bandage. And so sorry about that. Please let me tie your hand for you. Is that the normal response? Will you not say, may more glass slice your arm? Let your, that actually, that is bleeding, let it bleed even more. Will you? <laughs> Isn't that what you will say? But you went with bandage. You say, oh, sorry, sorry about that, please. Come, let me help you. Is it not a man who has been in God's presence that behaves like that? Do you see the different response? Jesus went and healed, he touched the man's ear. 
the servant of the high priest. Jesus wanted him to hear what the high priest would keep telling him. <laughs> he didn't want him to go have problem with his hearing. Jesus wanted him to hear more. So that when he gets converted, he will hear the word of God even better. Jesus went and healed the ear. Excuse me, if you were God, eh, what would you do? You. Will you not will you not say, let that ear go? In fact, let, let him not hear again. But see our God, see our Jesus. A man of prayer. Prayer makes you to behave like God. Prayer makes you to be a true follower of God. Look at look at how Jesus walked here. He healed him. And you see, this I, I know these things are not this is not the default way we should behave. But this is the effect of prayer upon the life of upon the heart of a man. And praying that God will us. Because you see, when the Bible says, Be ye followers of God, this is what it's telling us. As true children, as beloved children, the followers of God. When the scripture says that, these are the things, the nature and character of God, it is not natural. You are only strengthened in the place of prayer to behave like this. It doesn't come naturally. So, may God grant us His grace so that we can follow Jesus in His steps. May we be challenged again in the place of prayer to give our hearts to prayers. May we be encouraged to pray so that we will keep pleasing God and not fall into temptation. That's the issue here. And I'm asking that, you know, as we pray, let's pray about these things. God be our Amen. Praise the Lord. And okay, let's go to our prayer request. So for our uh, prayer point, um, can I ask you, Conquet, to please pray for our prayer points tonight, please? Come and join Pastor George's Bible study at 8 p.m. 